You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace radio show. Thank you for joining us today. Through these radio shows, our goal is to share insights and information on trending topics impacting the world of work and careers in the 21st century. And to do that, we invite experts and thought leaders to be our guests. After tuning in, we want you to walk away having learned something new and equipped you to future-proof your organization and career. This week, Linda is working with a senior executive team to future-proof their organization. So today, I'm hosting the show, and this is Morag Barrett, partner at Sky Team and best-selling author of Cultivate, The Power of Winning Relationships, as well as co-author with Dr. Linda Sharkey of The Future-Proof Workplace. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Denise Lee Young as the go-to expert on brand building for national media outlets. She's an in-demand speaker and consultant and an influential writer, and we're going to be spending time today talking about her new fusion and uh, how to uh, combine brand and culture in building a future-proof organization. So, Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Morag. Yeah, so let's help our listeners get a little bit of uh, flavor for who you are and uh, what the expertise is that you bring to the show. So give us the part of history of how did you get to where you are today? Well, I come from the brand world um, in that um, I have been a brand consultant, speaker, and writer for now um, 13 plus years. Uh, prior to that, I was um, head of brand and strategy at Sony Electronics, mm-hmm. and um, before that had held a variety of positions um, on both the client and agency side. And so um, I, ha- I love brands, I love studying them, I love uh, working on them, and I love love helping companies use them to, as you say, future-proof their organizations. Okay. So I know we're going to be talking about your latest book, Fusion, how integrating brand and culture powers the world's greatest companies. And we'll come to that in a bit, but this is not your first book. It's so, not. Yes. So tell us about what tell us about the books you've already written and then sure. we'll get to the, the latest thinking and what brought you to write your new book, Fusion. So which ones All have you right. written? Yeah. So uh, my first book came out in January 2014. It was called What Great Brands Do, The Seven Brand Building Principles That Separate the Best from the Rest. And it, it did just that. It laid out seven principles. Actually, there's an eighth principle, but um, we're, we're, we're supposed to <laughs> we'll say seven principles that really distinguish what great brands do differently from other brands. Mm-hmm. And so that is kind of like the main book that I and main topic that I um, speak about and write about and um, do a lot of thinking about. 
Um, after that, I had published an ebook that's that focused on the retail and restaurant businesses called Extraordinary Experiences, What Great Retail and Restaurant Brands Do. And so it adapted what great brands do specifically to the challenges and opportunities that retail and restaurant companies have. And then most recently, I just published a, a short workbook called Scale Up Your Brand. And that was it's targeted to small businesses and companies that want to scale from perhaps, let's say, um, uh, pre-IPO to uh, more of a mid-sized company. Okay, so a couple of questions then to ping, ping on all of those then. So sure. give me some snippets. What is it that great brands do? What are not just necessarily all seven or eight of the yeah. principles. <laughs> what, are, what is it that makes a brand particularly yeah. special stand out? Yes. So from my um, experience working on brands for 25 plus years and all the research I did for my book, what I've discovered is that the thing that distinguishes great brands the most from other brands actually has um, is quite surprising. It has very little to do with how creative their marketing might be, um, how innovative their products are, maybe maybe even um, you know how well they serve their customers. The thing that distinguishes great brands the most is that they think about and use their brands differently. They don't Mm -hmm. operate with their brands kind of off to the side, separate from their business. Um, You know, kind of thinking about their brand is like maybe an image that they can change like a pair of clothes. Um, Mm -hmm. What great brands understand is that your brand at its very essence is, is what you do and how you do it. And so they use their brands to drive, align, and guide everything that they do. And that enables them to build a very powerful, powerful, valuable, sustainable brand. So it integrates it through the whole. It's the lens by which all business decisions, hiring decisions, product decisions, service decisions are made, which leads you then to your latest book, Fusion, which brings those two together in, in more clarity. Yes, all right. Absolutely. So let, yeah. let's keep mm-hmm. that journey going. So the second okay. book okay. is Extraordinary Experiences, what great yes. retail and restaurant brands do. So, of course, now I'm thinking, okay, so what's special about retail and restaurants that made you want to specialize in the second book around those particular niches? Well, a couple things. Number one, um, I have a lot of experience working on retail and restaurant brands, and I always like to write out of my expertise. So I, I you know, wanted mm-hmm. to provide um, my insights and perspectives based on working on real restaurants and real re- um, and real retailers. Um, but secondly, you know. Um, for a while now, people have been predicting the death of retail. Mm. Um, you know, with the growth in online commerce, I think some people are, um, you know, whether it's hyperbole or not, they kind of think, you know, well, brick and mortar stores are going away, and even restaurants to some extent. Um, you know, now with all the delivery services and food services coming out from from grocery stores, etc. And so I wanted to challenge that thinking and say, you know, brick and mortar experiences are not going away. Um, And great retail and restaurant brands understand how to create extraordinary experiences so that their their in-person experiences really um, do draw customers into Mm. great relationships with them. And then, um, you know, the, the, the final thing I will say is that, you know, I think brands and brand building can be sometimes a little, um, you know, ethereal or esoteric and people think, oh, I kind of understand, but not really. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to take 
I, I wanted to take a topic or um, write about a topic that people could relate to. And everyone goes to restaurants and everyone shops in stores. And so I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to talk about brands that people know that they actually experience personally and t- and show them what brand building looks like to make it more tangible. So mm. it was for all of those reasons that I wrote the book. And, um, you know, the feedback I got was that it accomplished all of those objectives. So I was glad to hear that. It's <laughs> always the, re- the reassuring to get that feedback. Yes. I know it takes heart and soul to write a book, having done that twice. I'd love to say yes. it was an easy process. <laughs> but it's interesting when you talk about retail and the death of retail. I mean, certainly I live in Colorado and it seems like we have a huge mall every 500 yards down I-25. <laughs> They're forever building up new ones. And then there's always a risk that they can turn into these ghost malls, essentially, with one yes. or two storefronts. So I think the retail experience, to your point, is changing. So how is that influencing then how mm-hmm. organizations brand or the purpose of branding? Sure. Um, well, I, it means that your actual customer experience, the in-person, one-on-one experience you have with your customers is so much more influential in the in developing perceptions of your brand and really you know, um, driving consideration and, and, and visitation or purchase of your brand. Because, you know, I think that in the past, people found out about brands or learned about brands primarily through advertising. And so mm-hmm. you as you as a retailer could pretty much say whatever you wanted about yourself and that would be how people would form a perception about you. But these days, you know, um, reviews and um, you know, social posts are so far, far more influential than mm-hmm. any advertising that a company could post. And so what that means is that you need to make sure that what people are sharing about you spreads the message that you want, which which then in turn means that you need to provide experiences for people that they want to that they want to spread, that they want to mm-hmm. you know, share about and to say, you know, oh, I went to this really cool restaurant and this is the experience I had or or you wouldn't believe what happened to me when I went to the store. So the the actual experience that you provide has become so much more important in shaping brand perceptions. I think you you're right. I think I know from my own experience the sponsored posts and social media it's the pernicious communication tool that's in our pockets on the so on the smartphone but those sponsored posts i'm probably more skeptical of because of course yes some glossy marketing team or advertising <laughs> firm has put that together but the posts from my friends who are saying oh well the next time i happen to be in houston today um here's the restaurant you need to go to those are more likely to influence me and help me to choose whether i'm even going to walk in the door and then hopefully encourage me to then share my own story and experience. And of course, with retail and restaurants as well, what I'm seeing is there's such a proliferation of choice. Mm, yes. Um, I could I could eat anywhere, whether it's fast food, fancy restaurant, quick dining, slow dining, up market, <laughs> low market, mid market. All I know is I'm hungry. So with all that choice, again, it's the social media, it's the recommendations from people that I know and trust or people who are connected to the people I know and trust that I'm going to listen to. You're absolutely right, Morag. And, you know, you actually touched on something else I think is really important to point out about brand building today, that um, you need to stand out from all those choices because you're right. And I think in practically every category, um, there's just this choice proliferation. Mm -hmm. And so as a brand, your differentiation, meaning your ability to stand out um, 
and represent something that's different, offer something that's different, is so much more important today. And so I think that a lot of um, you know businesses in the past could have just run a good business, and you know as long as they you know, did a good job of that, they they could be a viable business. But today, you know, good is not good enough, and I think mm-hmm. you know being different is better than being better. So you need to really work on differentiating your brand. Okay. Which brings me then to your latest book. So the title again, Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. So what was it that drove you to decide, I need to write Fusion? We need another book on branding. Yeah. Well, you know, I actually have to say that it was primarily – a motivation behind culture as opposed to brand. Mm. Because um, what I found, well, two, I guess maybe two things and they're kind of related. You know, the one is that I think that, that corporate culture or workplace culture has become um, such an important topic. I don't think that there's a business leader out there that doesn't understand that they need to be paying attention to culture. Uh, but what I've also discovered is that most business leaders go about building their culture the wrong way, um, which I, and I can talk about that a little bit more, but I wanted to kind of share my perspective on how you build a strong culture. And, and kind of related to that was that, you know, um, in my consulting work, I would get hired by all sorts of companies to help them increase their competitive advantage, strengthen their brand value, attract more customers, et cetera. And we could we could do a lot of good work and really take their company to the, or their business to the next level. But sometimes what I found is that we were being held back by the actual culture of the company. Mm-hmm. So even though from a strategic standpoint, from a customer experience design standpoint, from a competitive positioning standpoint, we were headed in the right direction. Without the culture piece, the, the company wouldn't succeed. And so there was a, um, a concern or frustration, actually, on my part that, you know what, all this work that I'm doing to help you build a great brand needs to be complemented by work on your culture as well. So it was really kind of those two things. And, and like I said, they're kind of related in a way that um, brought me to write Fusion. It's interesting because uh, Linda and I dedicated a whole chapter to culture in our book, The Future Proof mm. Workplace, because what we recognized a number of things in the 20th century, and we're using the 21st century as our demarcation point. So in our book, we're not trying to do a crystal ball pre- um, prediction of what's going to happen to work in the future. We're talking about some of the challenges you've already outlined that are happening right here, right now under our nose. Mm-hmm. And our um, perception and experience in talking with leaders around the world was that the 20th century approach to culture was it's that soft, fluffy stuff, but you'll know it when you see it. And <laughs> let's just hope we have a good one. Or yes. we'll create some nice, fancy, schmancy posters, stick them on the wall, and that's bound to make a difference. Whereas in the 21st century, we're seeing that culture is key. And the difference here is it's no longer now HR's human resources responsibility for the organizational health is becoming a business critical strategic priority that the CEO, the board of directors, everybody needs to have a stake in understanding how do we get um, business done? Um, what does it feel like to both work here, but also what does it feel like as a customer to interact with this organization? And what I liked when I was reading Fusion is that you've coined the phrase brand culture fusion. So talk a little bit more about and describe for us what that means for you. 
Okay. Um, before I say that, though, I have to say, Morag, you are a mm. woman after my own heart because everything that you just said about <laughs> what culture is in this 21st century is spot on. And I think we all need to be talking about this a lot more in order for this to really kind of soak in because I think mm-hmm. that there, there's still a lot of work that, that um, uh, still a lot of misperceptions about what culture is. Yes. So I just want to say this is great that we're having this conversation. Um, the reason why I focus on the alignment and integration of brand and culture and why I coined the term brand culture fusion is because I have found that when you have a brand, external brand identity, and internal workplace culture that are aligned and integrated, that's when you get the real power out of your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you don't just want to have a, a good culture, or you don't just want to have happy employees. You want to have an organization that produces the specific results that you are, are going after as a business. And so it makes sense that if you want to, your brand to stand for something, um, then and you need to operate internally in that same way. And so the you know the example that I start off the book with and that I um, talk about all the time is Amazon. Mm. Now, um, a couple of years ago, Amazon you know was in the news because there was this expose in the New York Times about the, their culture and how um, uh, some people described it as being just so um, so brash. Uh, yeah brash and and competitive and and um, it just it just beat people relentless down and, yes yeah. relentless is a great word and that's exactly what they said about it yeah. Um, there were a lot of people that criticized Amazon for that. And granted, I think that the story uh, was maybe somewhat exaggerated or somewhat skewed in order to really emphasize the negative effects of the culture. But I think a lot of people were like, you know what? We want cultures to be friendly and collaborative and kind of, you said, the warm and fluffy that you were talking Mm. about before. And if Amazon had that kind of culture, it would not be the superpower company that it is today. Mm-hmm. Because what powers Amazon is their obsession with being customer centric and doing everything possible to to serve customers well. And so they hold themselves to this extremely high standard. Um, they're very performance driven, um, you know, and, and they don't tolerate people who, who aren't in line with that. And, and because of that, they've become such a great, such a powerful brand and such a, a huge and, and, and great company. And so that's, I think, a great example of this alignment between you know, on the outside, you know, as customers, we love Amazon because they give us exactly what we want, when we want it, yes. how we want it, et cetera. And they operate internally with that same drive and that same mission. So that's what I mean by brand culture fusion. So it's a deliberate choice. And I think for me, I love that example of Amazon. It isn't necessarily that all cultures have to be happy places, group hug places where everybody's having, because everybody's different definition of fun and a great place to work is different. But when you're overt around, we have a fast-paced environment. We set high standards. We expect people to um, be continually striving to raise their own game and the game of the business. When you find yourself in that environment, then you'll either find out do you thrive or not. And I think that's what Amazon have done very well is they've determined the culture that they need for success. And when I'm working with executives, I do say if you don't define your culture, then you you may get the culture you deserve 
not mm. necessarily the culture you need in order for success. And I that's love that, Laura. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, there's this great quote from Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, that says, you know what, um, our culture fits with certain people. It yeah. doesn't fit with other people. And, and you know, I think, and I think that that's, that's so true for every company out there. Um, what works for one company is not going to work for someone for another. And that's okay. That's great. Well, I think that can be one of the key mistakes leaders make is that when we determine that this is not a great fit, don't force somebody to have to just <laughs> toughen up cupcake and deal with it. It's how do you handle the, you know what, I'm not sure that this is where you can thrive. How do we help you find your next opportunity where you can truly reach your potential? And yes. that's where I think some of the, the news stories that we see of disgruntled employees can be because that transition wasn't handled respectfully and effectively. So what are some of the other common mistakes that you see business leaders making or pitfalls that they encounter when building their own cultures? Mm -hmm. One thing I see a lot of is an emphasis on perks and (laughs) provide an experience or an environment that is, um, you know, just, you know, like let's put foosball tables. Ping pong. Yes. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, we need to offer gym memberships and and nursing rooms for mothers, you know, like all these things that I think in some ways are are important to most organizations, but don't, you don't feel the culture from those things. Those are, um, you, you may need to offer those things in order to support your employees, but I think that it's more important, as you had said, to ensure that your culture is aligned with your strategy and that you are actually um, running your organization in a way that supports your culture, that you're, the leaders of the organization are, are talking and acting in a way that supports your culture, You know that you are um, design, deliberately designing an employee experience that supports you know, your unique culture. And I think that, you know, um, it's easy to to default to perks um, because, mm-hmm. you know, while some of them may be expensive or, you know, whatever, they're relatively easy to do. Oh, you know, all we need to do is provide free lunch for everyone. And so, you know, that's you can kind of cross that off the list. It's much harder to say, you know what, we want to, um, you know, be, have a more innovative culture. We want people to really, um, uh, you know, fail fast and we want people to learn and we want to, you know, uh, just kind of be more of a leading edge innovator. And and then cultivate a culture that supports that. That's a lot harder, um, but it is what would then produce an actual innovative culture and innovative mm. brand, um, for example. So, um, you know, I think that's another pitfall is just kind of defaulting to perks and thinking that's how you build a culture. Agreed. I mean, there is no doubt that having uh, the concierge service online so I can, uh, in the building so I can get my dry cleaning done, that's nice. <laughs> having the gym downstairs just means that I've got to come up with a new innovative excuse for why I don't work out regularly. They're important, yeah. but they've become almost invisible table stakes. So when people are joining, choosing whether to join your company, yes, you have a gym, yes, you have free parking, yes, you have access to the um, train station, whatever, done, I'm coming. But actually, the use of those 
is very limited because everybody's so busy. Certainly when I've been in Google, when I've been in some of these um, poster children for the foosball table type environment, the reality is the work is what's driving and engaging the employees, not the periphery of the, the tools that are available around them. So table stakes to help make keep you up with your competitors, but what keeps your employees is still that sense of accomplishment. I'm connected to my colleagues. I'm learning and growing and being challenged, and I'm contributing to something bigger than myself. Yes, and you know, um, I had read an article, and actually I included it in my book. Um, it was written by um, one of the executives at um, Tuft & Needle, which is a, a home goods kind of company. Um, but, you know, he said that that books can actually almost have a diminishing return because, you know, as an employee, you know, hey, it's cool, I can play ping pong, you know, but like after you've played ping pong a couple of times, <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything to you anymore. And so, you know, you need to find a more sustainable way to engage and motivate and reward your employees. Okay. Well, I'm curious, we've talked a little bit about the leaders here and the importance of linking culture and brand to the organizational strategy. Why do you feel that the brand culture fusion has to be led by the top leaders of an organization? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, um, I think what you said earlier is, is, precisely the reason that it is not an HR kind of issue. And this is not to diminish the importance of HR in any organization, because I think that, um, you know, in many ways, HR needs to execute on this direction. So um, uh, HR is critically important to cultivating culture. If you, as a leader, delegate it to to your HR folks and, and don't pay attention to yourself, a couple to it yourself, a couple things happen. One is you send a strong message to the rest of your organization that it's not a priority. You know, mm -hmm. because people will take their cues from you. Um, they will look to what you prioritize and, and whether you – and they know when you're just saying something versus when it's really important to you. And, you know, they can tell the difference. So I think, you know, that's one thing. Um, but secondly, you know, your entire um, business needs to operate on brand and on culture. And if you are only um, – thinking about like the HR aspects of your business, you're missing so many other opportunities to operationalize your culture. And so as a business leader, an operational leader, um, you need to drive your culture throughout everything you do. Okay, so it's a team effort. It can't be driven solely from the, well, solely from the top. It involves each of the business functions uh, to, to get involved there, but it also can't be something that you leave to chance. This is the classic example of hope is not a strategy. Yes. Otherwise, you're going to get the culture you deserve, <laughs> not the culture that you need. Well, you're listening to the Future Proof Workplace, a radio show, and uh, my guest this week is Denise Leon, and we're discussing her uh, newest book, Fusion. And I'm just reminding myself of the subtitle, Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. When we come back from break, Denise and I are going to be exploring the, okay, so how do you create a brand culture uh, fusion? So please listen in and stay with us. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. 
Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thank you for staying with us. This is Morag Barrett and the Future Proof Workplace Radio Show. And I'm having a great conversation with Denise Lee Yon, who is the expert on branding and her new book, Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. So, Denise, in your book, you've got two separate sections that explain how we can go about creating a brand culture fusion. Now, the beginning sets the scene. It talks about sole purpose and core values. Values. You talk about the desired culture. How do we even assess where we are and where we need to be? And then the tactics for leading the change. Talk a little bit about those three elements that you highlight in the beginning of your book. Yes, so the pur- your purpose and core values are your starting point. And, you know, I I'm, um, continue to be surprised at how many leaders um, and how many organizations don't have a clear purpose and values that unite everything that they do. Um, you know, what I find is that uh, companies may have a uh, like a mission statement that is very kind of business oriented, and then they have a brand purpose that is very aspirational, and mm-hmm. often those have nothing to do with each other. And so, you, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, well, what, as an employee, I'm confused, and if you, and if your employees are confused, you know, how do you expect your customers to understand what you're trying to do? And kind of the same thing I would say with core values. You know, um, a company that has um, values that are kind of corporate workplace values um, may then operate very differently or want to be perceived um, very differently from the outside. So, you know, you mm-hmm. might be like, okay, well, our core values are integrity and respect and teamwork, et cetera. <laughs> and as a brand, you know, we want to be perceived as, you know, innovative and cutting edge and, and fresh and, and new. And, I, I think without the integration and alignment of those two, um, again, you know, I'm not sure that your employees know how they're expected to behave, and you as an organization then don't uh, don't become what you aspire to be. So, having an overarching purpose and core values that unite your your business completely, um, and being very clear and focused about that is your very first step. It's it's interesting because it's easy to describe. It's actually quite challenging to do. And I was working with a senior marketing team actually not long ago, and there were only nine people in the room, Denise. This will make you smile. And I essentially asked them what their strategic or sole purpose was. Mm-hmm. And nine people in the room, would you like to have a guess as to how many sole purposes <laughs> appeared on the flip chart by the end? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, if you're, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. they're like most organizations that I've worked with, you would have gotten nine or more, right? Exactly. And then, of course, we get, because it's marketing, we get into the wordsmithing of number three is like number seven and nine can't happen until two. And so we distilled that list down to perhaps four or five. Either way, there's still ambiguity there. It yes. wasn't the one clear sole purpose. And then, of course, you talk about core values, and it always makes me chuckle when I see integrity. Integrity, so isn't that table stakes again? (laughs) With the headlines that we've seen recently throughout the year of different companies who've been acting without integrity, maybe it does need to be there. And and I I wouldn't be surprised if integrity was on their list of core values. (laughs) So it's that balance.
difference between being very clear and articulate around what the sole purpose and those values are that are going to drive the business and engage the hearts and minds of employees, but also making sure that that final statement isn't so vanilla that remove the branding, oh, look, brand cultural fusion here, mm-hmm. but remove the branding and nobody's going to know who the heck that company is because it just sounds like it could be anybody. So exactly. how, do you, how do you help executives actually get to a meaningful core purpose or sole mm-hmm. purpose? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, a lot of it has to do with really digging deep and um, thinking both deeply and broadly about what business they're really in and why they exist and what would be missing in the world if they didn't exist. And mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily a, a complicated exercise or you know anything that's kind of revolutionary. It's more about really um, maybe almost unpeeling the layers of the onion mm-hmm. and saying, you know, um, let's really talk about what what value are, are we creating in this world or, or what value do we hope we create? And um, just being very thoughtful about that. Um, and, and I think sometimes that will lead you to kind of maybe more of a uh, socially conscious or environmentally responsible purpose. And that's great. It, does, it doesn't have to, you know, like Amazon's, um, you know, ambition to be Earth's most customer centric company. I don't think that that necessarily has a lot of, you know, social responsibility attached to it, but it's, it's a big mission or it's a big purpose mm-hmm. that I think everyone can be like, yeah, that's what we want to do. You know, that's, that's our purpose. So, um, you know, I, again, I think the number one thing is to be clear and focused about it. And I'm curious, actually, as I think about this whole diagnosis conversation, whether we're discussing brand or culture and understanding where are we now and where do we want to be? Mm-hmm. The question that's coming through to my mind is, in your experience now in the 21st century, what's the life cycle of a brand or even a culture? Because in the past, in the 20th century, it was let's set it and we'll see you again in 50 years. But in the 21st century, with the pace of change, are we talking about brand culture fusion for the next six months, the next year, the next six years? I mean, Right. Help me understand how often am I doing this and revisiting this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that your overarching purpose and core values should be locked in pretty much forever, or at least your intent should be that, you know, this is this is what we are going to pursue or be defined by um, as long as we exist. Now, understanding that at times your purpose or your values do need to shift, um, you know, depending on if you're, if, if certain dynamics like your business shifts or maybe the, mm-hmm. your entire industry shifts, you know, whatever. I mean, so I, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't change it at all, but I think the intent should be that it, sh- that it would be unchanged. But I think the expression or the way that is experienced by either employees and or mm. customers could change quite a bit, you know, and, and so you, we look at some of the brands that have been around forever, you know, like you, like you said for years and, and I, you know, maybe like Disney would be a good example. You know, I think that they um, have always been about kind of like this family magic and this experience of family magic. Mm-hmm. Um, other that has been just some simple cartoons that Walt Disney created when he first started the company or whether that's in, the theme parks and the retail stores and the um, media that the company creates today, um, you know, the purpose and values, I think, have stayed the same, but the expression and the experience yes, yeah. has changed. Yeah. 
Okay, that makes sense to me. Thank you. Well, then the second part of your book, you move from these concepts of, okay, understanding what is it that we're trying to be, the sole uh-huh. purpose and the core values, and where are we now, where do we want to be, the gap, yes. and then the, the next step is, okay, we've got to go make that a reality. So yes. what are the strategies then um, that get me from here to there? Okay, so there are five strategies that I outline in my book, and the first four are targeted to companies where they're they have very clear brand aspirations. They kind of know what they want their brand to stand for, and they need to align their culture to it. Um, the, the fifth and final strategy is more for organizations that are that have a very clear culture, and they want to align their brand to their culture. So um, a slightly different challenge, and it's really you know maybe not as distinct as, as I um, make it in the book by saying these four are one way and this, this last strategy is another. But for the purpose of discussion, I would say that the four strategies that you would need if you want to align your culture with your desired brand identity is first to organize and operate your company on brand. Mm-hmm. And then and then second, to create employee experiences that embody that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, then third, to use your rituals and artifacts and policies and procedures to reinforce that culture and to really live out your culture in the day-to-day. And mm. then the last strategy is more um, what I call like employee brand engagement, where you have distinctive, distinct I'm sorry, experiences or communications or tools that you use to facilitate your brand culture fusion. So it's really those four strategies. And like the fifth strategy, if you have a clear culture and you really want to align your brand to that culture, then that's more about putting your purpose in action. It's about leveraging your values to um, redefine or define your brand and then to use your culture to differentiate your brand. All right. So if I go back through those and think about them each in turn, the first one then that you described there was about organizing and operating on brand. What I heard you say, it's understanding what we do and why we do it. Yes. And then the how, both internally yes. and externally. So yes. how how do you help move then culture from being the soft stuff mm-hmm. to culture no longer being soft mm-hmm. stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing is to ensure your organizational design supports and reflects your desired culture. You know, um, it makes no sense for you to say that, you know, we want to have a very kind of uh, democratic or collaborative culture, but then you have layers and layers of hierarchy and you separate everyone into silos. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, it seems so obvious, but you would be surprised at how many companies mm-hmm. don't understand that, that your organizational design really impacts your culture. So is applying design thinking principles to the to your organizational you know, structure and your hierarchy and roles and responsibilities. And then to drive it into your operational processes, whether that's kind of like big processes like a product development process or um, you know, maybe like a service delivery process or your sales process, but then also like day-to-day processes, whether it's um, you know, your your budget approval process or um, your yeah. um, you know, your your employee on board process, you know, whatever the case may be. It's really just looking at how you run your business and are these things really um, uh, delivering on your brand, uh, delivering on your culture? Like, do they make it possible for people to actually live out your culture? 
I love that. I'm starting to see now how these all connect because that's the second strategy, create culture-changing employee experiences. And again, in the olden days, um, it would be easy for that uh, email or that memo to go out to say, we are now a collaborative culture. Make it so. But you talk about employee experiences. If If I'm used to writing with my right hand, and that's how I've been doing it for the last two years, five years, 20 years, and now you want me to write with my left hand. What are some examples then of uh, culture-changing employee experiences that you've seen have a positive impact with the client? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, one company that I feature in this chapter is Airbnb. Oh. And yeah, uh, and, and, and I should say in general, what I try to do is to use examples that people may not know that much about or, or um, they're not like the standard examples. I mean, obviously, I do talk about Nike and Starbucks and all you know, those organizations, but I wanted to, to choose these companies that maybe are, are more emerging as leaders and, and Airbnb certainly has in terms of their, their growth and their, mm-hmm. their financial performance. Um, but what, you know, they're their whole brand is about belonging, you know, so they want their customers, you know, you, when you are visiting a new place to feel like you are accepted and that you belong and that you fit in and that, you know, you're almost like a local wherever you're traveling. Well, they, you know, they, I think have done a really good job of making their employees feel like they belong in the company as well. So they design their employee experience all around this idea of belonging, where you feel Mm. comfortable, you feel accepted, you can, you can act, you can behave as if you were at home or with a group of friends. And um, so they have a whole employee experience department uh, examining every aspect, whether it's the environment, um, you know, kind of like the physical aspects of, of, of the jobs that employees do or the tools that employees use, um, whether it's, uh, you know, the meals that they eat because they do have a ca- uh, cafe in their, yeah. in their um, offices, um, to the way that performance reviews are are given and the way that um, people are actually interviewed in the first place for their jobs. It's mm-hmm. all about making people feel like they belong. I so, love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it links to the fourth strategy, the Ignite Your Transformation and Employee Engagement, because now I feel part of the process. It's a two-way conversation versus versus something that I am being told to do. And it's yes. from day one, so we're being consistent. Uh, the third one that you mentioned, though, let's just take a step back, sweat the small stuff. <laughs> right, um, right. And you and I both know, sometimes I remember many years ago, my early career, the big bank that I worked for back in the UK used to give everybody a pocket diary that shows the dates, because this is before you know electronic <laughs> calendars. But we used to get this tiny pocket calendar uh, diary uh, every Christmas as a, a gift branded you know with the bank's logo and everything and then one year it went away it saved the bank maybe I don't know half a million pounds let's say small change pocket change in in terms of the millions and billions that the bank made and it had a disproportionate effect on employee morale the fact that that went away than Mm. keeping it would have done so when you talk about sweat the small stuff again the rituals and the artifacts what does that mean you know, there are all these small, um, seemingly small um, and seemingly kind of everyday mundane aspects of organizational life that leaders need to deliberately design to cultivate their culture, um, whether that's the way that meetings run or, as you said, like tools or gifts that they give to their employees. Um, it's it's the small signals that I or small things that signal to employees your big priorities. You know, um, more, I guess, 
as you were telling your story, you reminded me of very early on in my career, I was working for a company um, which had outside the cafeteria doors, like when you walked out of the cafeteria back into the office building, um, it had a uh, like a sign that showed the stock price for the company every day. Mm-hmm. And um, at some point we were uh, working on something and we wanted to put up a huge poster that would that ever, all employees would see. So we said, you know, that's a great place right outside the cafeteria for us to put up this huge poster. So one day we took down the stock price indicator and, and we hadn't gotten to actually putting the new poster up yet. So there was just kind of this blank space and you would not believe the things that people read into just that small gesture. Ooh. Oh my gosh, has our stock price fallen? You know, are, <laughs> are, you know, yeah. are we going under as a company? Like, are we, are we going private? Um, you know, or are we no longer financially oriented as a company? And it was, it was amazing like how such a small detail could send such a big message. So mm-hmm. when I said the sweat, the small stuff. It's really designing those everyday, seemingly mundane, common areas um, of your organizational life that that actually have a big impact. It's funny, isn't it? And and I think that reinforces the point that it can't be a top-down thing or done by just one department or team because they may not see that small decision of let's move the uh, ticker tape as being (laughs) so critical, but others might flag it as here's what's going to, how it might be interpreted or misinterpreted, and that may undermine um, success. Yes. All right. I mean, this has been great. The the fifth um, strategy that you have is build your brand from the inside out. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about how do you transform brand and culture together and how do you do it from the inside out such that outside in can see the differentiation? Yeah, well, you know, um, I think the forces in business are really moving in this direction where I think customers and outside stakeholders really want to understand more about what's going on inside a company. And so in many ways, this is kind of maybe going to become more common where if a company has a very strong purpose, for example, you know, maybe um, they're very mission oriented or the founder really had this kind of vision that, that, he, that he or she has shaped the entire company around, if they can just connect the dots between this purpose and these actions or these strategies or these initiatives or these products and really help people from the outside understand this is why this is the why behind what we do. That's a huge part. Same thing with mm-hmm. your values and same thing with kind of your, your cultural differentiator. It's just a matter of taking what you're doing on the inside and um, celebrating that outside. And I think that that does, goes a long way to shaping people's perceptions about your brand. Okay, Denise, I mean, for those of you who are joining us and have been listening in, this is the Future Proof Workplace radio show with Morag Barrett. And my guest this week is Denise Leon, and we have been discussing her new book, Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. So, Denise, as we're coming to the end of the show, what are the key things, the key messages that you want our listeners to take away from our conversation today? I would say, number one, there is no one single right culture for every organization. But you as a leader need to go on a journey of understanding what is the right culture for you to cultivate in order to produce the specific results and achieve the desired brand identity that you have. That would be my number one headline. Your brand mm-hmm. and your cult- your brand and your culture need to be integrated and aligned in order to, as you say, pr- future-proof your company. 
Okay. So, Denise, I know we will have piqued the curiosity of many leaders and uh, listeners out there. So, first of all, how can people get hold of your book, Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies? Where do I get a copy? Well, you can pre-order it now on Amazon. You just go on Amazon, search for Fusion, and my name, Denise Leon, and the book will come up. But I will tell you that it's not being officially published until next year. And Morag, this is the very first interview that I am doing for the book. So I'm so pleased to be on your show and to preview it to your audience kind of exclusively so that they can know about it and um, share it with their friends and, like I said, pre-order it on Amazon. Fantastic. Well, you heard it here first. You, listeners, you are all in that exclusive club of getting an advanced listen in. I was going to say peak to, but listen in to Fusion, how integrating brand and culture power the world's greatest company. So based on this conversation, we know we can pre-order the book and good luck with that process and the launch of that uh, in due course. But Denise, if people want to get in touch with you, how do we get in touch with you? The best way is through my website, denisleon.com. Um, but pretty much if you want to get through to me through Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, just Denise Leon will get you there. So um, I, I really look forward to hearing from your listeners. Okay, so denisleon.com, that's D-E-N-I-S-E-L-E-E, Yon, Yo, Y-O-H-N, I'm sorry, Yon, Y-O-H-N.com, and that's how you can get hold of Denise. Well, Denise, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for sharing your expertise and uh, inspiring us around the importance of brand culture fusion. I look forward to hearing more as the book comes out and uh, we continue to explore these conversations. You've all been listening to the Future Proof Workplace radio show. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Morag Barrett. I'm co-author with Dr. Linda Sharkey of the Future Proof Workplace book. If you haven't got yourself a copy, please make sure that you go to your favorite bookseller and order your copy today. And we will help ensure that the future of work is not tomorrow. The future of work is today. The question is, are you ready? This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.